there a doctor in the house? Doctor, doctor, give me the news. I got a bad case of loving you. Doctor. 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 And doctor. It's time for Advanced Medicine Monday with Dr. Rashid Batar. I'm a doctor, not a bricklayer. A doctor, not a mechanic. I'm a doctor, not a coal miner. The doctor is in. All right, this hour we're back at it with Advanced Medicine and Dr. Rashid Bittar as we do each and every week at this time of the week and the day and the hour. And I am uh, in the mountains of Colorado, Dr. Bittar, and uh, I think you're in, you're probably in your study indoors. So uh, just, just rubbing it in a little bit, enjoying the great outdoors here on the show tonight with you. Well, I can just imagine how beautiful it is, and I'm going to actually see if I can log into YouTube to see your background, but it sounds amazing from what you just described. Yeah, you know, and the thing is, we're being delivered, like, fresh from the garden stuff, some stuff I won't eat, like raw tomatoes, just that's just me, uh, but the cucumbers that were picked yesterday and pickled for 24 hours, I actually had a bite of one. Absolutely imp- incredible in 24 hours what you can do to a, to a cucumber to make it edible. I loved it. <laughs> Amazing. For all the cucumber lovers out there, I've made I've made enemies I, apparently, and and raw tomato lovers. But listen, I, however you want to enjoy it, your vegetables, I want you to enjoy them that way. Okay. So uh, obviously, cancer is something that's been a topic that we've discussed over the years doing advanced medicine, and you know all the the same basic principles apply. We know these are diseases of toxicity, deficiency. You've laid it out beautifully in the nine steps to keep the the doctor away, of course. Uh, yet they're still the scientists are still years behind trying to catch up. Here's a new study. It says it views cancer treatment as a game to find strategies that improve patient outcomes. So apparently there's a study now that says, let's look at this under the guise of what they call game theory and use high-capacity high computing. The question is, will they figure out that, my gosh, these people need to eat clean, organic-quality food. They need to detoxify their liver. They need more selenium and, and you know all the things we've talked about over the years. I don't know what's going to come of this, but... I don't know, maybe something good if they use their game theory properly. I just don't know. Well, I um, have not, obviously, read the study, Robert, because <laughs> I think after nine years now, probably I've gotten you conditioned pretty well to expect that. But <laughs> we, we um, laugh about it still. Right. Well, just bruising through it right now, it seems like that they're looking at this from when it says games to find strategies and improve patient outcomes. I think that they're doing it. They're not really looking at all potential possibilities to improve outcome. I think they're looking at different strategies of combining different chemotherapeutic agents, different uh, other types of conventional treatments, and combining them in certain different ways to see if they can get an improvement in patient outcome. It would be very interesting if they applied this same model to all aspects of treatment, encompassing everything from energetic medicine and nutritional medicine and integrative medicine and detoxification, the principles of homeopathy and the immune modulation aspects and, you know, hormonal optimization and all these things and combined it with the rest of the conventional things that they're looking at to really have a proper assessment, a fair assessment to see where the patient outcomes clearly exceed what they would expect. Because I think then if they were to do this with a non-biased approach, I think then the cards will fall where they're, you know, where they're meant to fall, and the evidence will be 
self-evident, basically. I mean, it'll become very yeah. obvious. From the, you know, the, the quote, the, Dr. Bittar, the quote here that says, current treatments for metastatic cancers by giving the same drug repeatedly at the same maximum tolerated dose can inadvertently increase the speed with which cancer cells can evolve, effective countermeasures, and then regrow. And, and you know, this, this goes to the law of the terrain, right? You alter the terrain, life finds a way. Now, of course, we're talking about what we would determine to be diseased life, disease, this imbalance in the body that manifests as, what, aberrant rogue cells that have gone rogue because they've become, well, the terrain has become toxic and deficient, etc. And, you know, there's one way they look at it, attack, kill, destroy. Finding out now that cancer cells can adapt to that, too, after all these years. Yeah, you kill some, but you also kill the patient more often than you kill them, and then they, they come about a new version of themselves, just like we've seen with antibiotics. Well, that's uh, that's a very true point, Robert. You're absolutely right. But the other thing is when you know, that little paraphrase that you just had with the uh, where they said that the increased sustained dosage is that what you said? Increased and sustained dosage yes. of chemotherapeutic agent growth. Okay. Yes. So if you think about it for a moment, intuitively, does it not make sense that if you're taking a substance that one is supposed to kill aberrant cells, abnormal cells, cells that are suppressed apoptosis and uncontrolled cellular proliferation. So they're, they're designed to kill these cells. But also during the manufacturing process, during the handling process, during the administration process, it's clearly known that these substances are toxic and should be handled in a very judicious manner. This is one reason that people wear hazmat suits when they're working with chemotherapeutic agents uh, in, in the laboratory. And then that you give this you know, selective poison, supposedly selective poison, which is not so selective, we know that, but it's a selective poison for cancer, and we give it sustained and at higher doses that will cause an abnormality and further progression of the malignant uh, tumor cells. Is that, is, is that not obvious? I mean, isn't that a moment of doubt? Because you're giving a poison, and a poison is going, the body's going to respond in a certain way to any poison. That's what we need to detoxify our body from, from these poisons. Toxins are poisons. Toxins act in the body in a in an undesired manner. That's what. But it, uh, Dr. Batar, until mainstream medicine and oncology acknowledges what you know, what I know, what we know here, that cancer is a disease of toxicity. You know, uh, one of the things that it is, uh, instead of a genetic happenstance, bad luck, you inherited it. Right. As a dominant feature, even though they acknowledge it, they pay lip service to it as they continue to play their game of let's pay little or no attention to nutrition. We will pay lip service to it, but there won't be anything specific and it won't be really food as as medicine in that way. And I think with this game theory, yeah, they'll they'll stumble upon it because the computing is so adept to do that. It's the question is, like you said, will they be unbiased enough to acknowledge the failure of their methodology as they seemingly are starting to do? How long will it be before they adopt a non-high-tech concept of, wow, if we just lived differently and altered the terrain, as Antoine Béchamp said, we wouldn't see cancer the way we see it all over the place today? Well, Robert, I agree with in part to what you're saying, but I disagree with the part where you said that until they recognize that the chemo, uh, that, about the law of the terrain and recognize that it's more than you need more than chemo to affect them, my point isn't so much whether they learn the law of the terrain is mm-hmm. that they have already recognized that chemotherapeutic agents are toxic and detrimental. That's why people wear hazmat suits when they handle them. So they yes. recognize that. So if they recognize that to take something that is toxic, they, they, there's no co- controversy on that aspect, 
but then to increase the, the dose of that in a sustained manner, why would they expect a different response? They already know what it does to, to the cancer cells. They're supposed mm-hmm. to be thinking it's killing them, but this would further our point, meaning that, it, okay, we know it's a poison, we know to give a sustained poison is going to their idea, obviously, to kill the cancer. But would, this, would you not agree that this would further our point that chemo is a toxin, and by giving it sustained and aggressively, if you think that it's going to kill more cancer, but then you kill the patient, as you already stated, then yeah. don't you think that intuitively, obviously, just, I mean, this is like, you know, a blind, deaf person would be able to pick up on this, wait a second, I, I don't need all my senses to know that if I give something and I get, increase it, it's going to make the condition I'm trying to treat even worse. Yeah. Right? I mean... In other words, I think it comes back to what Einstein said, that you, can't, you, you cannot solve a problem with the same mindset they created in the first place. And that's really where the problem yeah. is. It's a, con- it it's a consciousness issue. And we, we, are not, we don't hesitate to talk about consciousness. Yeah. And, and so it's a struggle because, as you know, consciousness is evolving. It's changing. It's transforming. People are finally coming to realizations that we've been communicating for many years here. And so... They struggle because they had the monopoly on what was called science and cancer treatment. And they're acknowledging and finding out is that things that were obvious, but apparently there was cognitive dissonance because if they have to handle their drugs that they give to weak immune compromised cancer patients with hazmat suits on, what did they think was going to happen to those weakened immunocompromised cancer patients, right? It would be self-evident you'd think right but apparently it's not that's where the founding fathers said you know we hold these truths to be self-evident but apparently not for everybody and certainly not for people of california that have fallen prey to pharmaceutical churches and sacrificing children to vaccine mandate so self-evidence is apparent to those who see it uh, but those who don't unfortunately it's not well i think there's also a very strategic orchestration of misinformation that's been put out there. And so some of these things that are obvious, I mean, this this information campaign, and we see this in politics, we see this in medicine, we see this in in economics, we see this everywhere. Yes. It's really frightening to see how this this disinformation, disinformation campaigns are used to manipulate the masses. And it's not something new. I mean, this happened, it's happened throughout throughout the centuries. I mean, it happened during the Vietnam War, World War One, World War Two. It happened before that. It happened, you know, I mean, all throughout history, actually, you start looking at even even the uh, the Crusades and, and prior to that, it's all campaigns of disinformation to taking people that are already disenchanted and disenfranchised and accentuating their differences as opposed to uh, showing them the commonalities and then building mm-hmm. on that with more misinformation and um, getting the, you know, whoever the powers would be, getting them to, uh, allowing them to manipulate the masses in the desired manner. Yeah. Dr. Bittar, have you ever, you probably heard this, in war, the first casualty is the truth, right? And what has modern medicine done? It's declared war on cancer. Nixon declared war on cancer. The first casualty is the truth, that cancer is a nutritional deficiency disease. It's a toxicological burden. You know, all of the things we talked about, emotional, uh, mental, spiritual stresses, you know, all of these things also manifest as disease and and including cancer. Uh, So none of those would uh, fall under a chemotherapy or a toxicity deficiency. And yet that's still primary or a, a radiological deficiency. We don't have enough ra- ionizing radiation in our lives. Uh, so we're looking at transformation of consciousness, overcoming all of the propaganda, the lies, the deceit, the disinformation. And this is why we're dealing with calls for 
censorship today, more than in a, in a recent history, more than ever, uh, of people who have political ideas that are different than the mainstream officials or those on the political left that worship at the Church of Pharmaceutical Mysticism. Censorship, not here, not ever, not now, not ever, on the Robert Scott Bell Show. Certainly not when Dr. Batar is here. Advanced Medicine Monday continues for those of you listening live. Check it out on YouTube as well. Also, Facebook Live and Instagram for Dr. Batar. And we'll continue on to bring you that healing that is yours by virtue of your birth. The revolution will be broadcast. The Robert Scott Bell Show. Bureaucrats and corporations that would stand in the way of health freedom. Here's Roberts. We have hundreds of hours of advanced medicine archives available to you all over the web, from iTunes to Stitcher to TuneIn to SoundCloud, UK Health Radio, uh, of course, GCN, our home and broadcast radio syndication. We had a medical rewind, now advancedmedicine.com. Also, you can participate in getting out of the public domain and learn more information than we are even allowed to say on radio. Uh, by going to advancedmedicine.com. Special invitation code to be part of it uh, is uh, 1358-1358. Dr. Batar was talking on the break as well because I mentioned a a, a headline from Natural News about censorship on YouTube. And specifically, if you do a vaccine, not official stories on vaccine, they interrupt your video with pro-vaccine propaganda. They call it fact-checking. When they have no science to determine the definitive safety, much less efficacy. And as Dr. Batar so well indicated on the break, for those of you watching on YouTube, you heard it, but those who didn't, uh, that the you know immunology 101 is violated by a vaccine introduction. And vaccination is not the same as immunization. You have to be clear about that. Just because you're vaccinated doesn't mean your immune system is stronger or that you're prevented from having any given disease. In fact, it creates diseases in the body, new ones that you might not have ever had. Uh, so vanvcd.org. Tell everybody briefly on radio what vanvcd.org is. So vanvcd.org is the, it's an acronym that stands for Vaccinated and Non-Vaccinated Children's Data. It's submitted by parents themselves. Um, I'm not sure how much data is there, but it's well over 10,000. I think we're approaching 15,000 sets of data points and people from all over the world. I think every country on this planet is represented. You can go in and query the data based upon the age of the child. So if you want to look at just males between the age of seven and nine that were vaccinated and their mothers had a medical condition, you can actually query that data. Anybody can go in and query this data. You can do any kind of study that you want to do on it, but you will be amazed at just looking at the assessments from parents themselves at the vaccinated versus the non-vaccinated children and where they were academically compared to the peers. And just you can do all sorts of different things on this on this um, website. Mm-hmm. Just go and fill out the questionnaire first, or fill, in, or fill out the an- questions or answer the questions, as we say, and mm-hmm. then the results section, look at it. You can query the data however you want. And, uh, Robert, sometime maybe we should actually go live and um, show people. That's a great idea. We could do that. Uh, we could show them visually what's on the site as well. So we'll plan to do that. Now, another cancer story, Dr. Batar, it's about labeling cancer. Uh, there's a movement on to maybe eliminate the label of cancer 
for certain cancers that are not too severe, that are what they call low-risk cancers or conditions. And they mentioned thyroid, they mentioned prostate, they mentioned small lung, small kidney, and stage zero melanomas. Now, if they're willing to rename these things as not cancer, what's the purpose of defining or, 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 or re- how we say diagnosing cancer? Because you know what freaks patients out that don't know the truth about cancer, right? They are going to be right. panicked. They're going to be made more anxious. So I, I sort of like the idea, but they still don't really understand what's going on. Yeah, I'm actually with you on this. I, I, I'm kind of the same feeling that I don't know whether I would necessarily disagree with this on one side of the coin because when people hear the word cancer, there's a, there's a whole cascade of emotions that they go through and belief systems that are enacted upon. And so I think that from that perspective, I like changing it. But the agenda here may also be one of misinformation again, because how do you, how do you uh, boil a frog or cook a frog? Right, you, you you put them inside water, and then you start turning up the heat. Not that I eat frogs, but apparently, you know that when people eat frog legs, any of our French listeners out there, water. Mm-hmm. Yeah, we put the frogs inside the water, and then you turn up the heat slowly, and the water becomes warmer, and the frog sits in there until he until he boils. Why don't you just drop the frog in a boiling hot water, a vat of water? Because the rest of the frogs will go. No, I'm not going in there. Exactly. They'll just jump out. So that's why you turn it up slowly. And so it's slowly adjusting people and getting them indoctrinated. Hey, it's okay to get these conditions. Um, Even if they are cancerous, it's okay. And so, you know, I have mixed feelings about this because I don't want Mm -hmm. there to be misinformation. But at the same time, to take that label away that people all automatically think, oh, my God, I've got, you know, and I'm going to die. I think that. If people understand that cancer is not a life or death. That sense. You know, th- this reminds me of Goldman Sachs' pronouncement that uh, curing cancer is not good for business. And a secondary thing yeah. in an oncological conference this year where they said, you know what? Cure- curing cancer, is, it, we don't even need to. Any- Let's just manage it. Let's manage it like a chronic disease. So that means they're going to reduce the toxicity of the treatment, extend it out over periods of time longer, and bankrupt you slower. Folks, we got a lot more healing to go on the Robert Scott Bell Show. Advanced Medicine with Dr. Batar continues after this. The Robert Scott Bell Show. In all my years of radio, I've never seen anything like this. The Robert Scott Bell Show. Information is so good, it requires no expiration date. The Robert Scott Bell Show. No preservatives either. It's just that good. Although we might be eaten up by something that thinks we're delicious. I don't know. Anyway, we're having a good time here on the radio. Robert Scott Bell Show, Advanced Medicine, each and every week at this time with Dr. Rasha Bittar. Links are up in the show notes to, uh, of course, advancedmedicine.com. But go to robertscottbell.com. You'll find it all linked up there as well. Now, uh, we were talking about uh, belief as it relates to cancer, right? What if they took the cancer diagnosis out? You still have a problem, but would that help patients to recover? Yeah, and I think that intuitively, I feel that it would make a massive difference. I have observed these types of uh, changes in individuals when you help to realign their belief system. But what if a person never, ever knew that they had cancer and or they had knew they had cancer and they were told that they had their prognosis was different than what the 
statistics are. So, you know, we've talked about on the show before. We, in fact, had a person that was one of my patients that has already well exceeded the uh, pancreatic cancer two-year survival, which is 0%, and he's doing better than he's been doing in the last 10 years, and, you know, it's completely clean bill of health, and we've talked about a number, number of different people like that in the past, but there's a story that I want to tell you about a person that did not go through our treatment. Um, you know Sal, uh, Robert, right? You know yes. Sal. And so Sal's uh, wife is a nurse in California, and his mother-in-law, Sal's wife's mother, was diagnosed with esophageal cancer. And she was taken all over Los Angeles, different hospitals. Her daughter being a nurse, she, they had some uh, good connection. She's been a nurse for, I don't know, 30 years there or something. So they took her to all the best specialists they could find, and they were trying to decide what her treatment options were going to be. And then she wasn't making a decision. And when Mary Lou basically asked her, you know, you need to make a decision, she told Sal, the, the mother-in-law told Sal that she wanted to talk to Rashid first. She wanted to talk to me first. So I happened to be on my way to Los Angeles within a couple of weeks. When I got to Los Angeles, I met with her. And so we're talking, and she's going through all these different parts of her history. I, I asked her, I said, but tell me about her, your history. She said, well, I want to know what I should do. I said, well, tell me, you know, what happened. So she basically tells me how she got, when, when she was diagnosed with cancer and what the doctors told her. Now, what was interesting was that they told her her prognosis, they gave her four to six months to live, okay? But what she, she's Filipino, and I guess her hearing was a little bit impaired. So what she, instead of hearing four to six months, she heard 46 months, right? Yes, 46 so months. The daughter, so the daughter, this is esophageal cancer, and, you know, the, the thing with esophageal cancer, you can resect it out, but the quality, like most... I've seen two or three of these cases when I was in general surgery residency. The people, they took the cancer out, but the people never left the intensive care unit. You know, they're already older. They're, they you split the chest open and the, the, all these other things. I mean, one person lived for six months with an intensive care unit and then died. There's no quality of life. So I knew that if they did the surgery, which, which she was kind of being encouraged to do, that it would basically end her life. So I, I wanted her, I wanted to hear what she had to say. So she tells me, well, I've been told I have 46 months to live. The daughter, Mary Lou, the, the nurse, starts to correct her mother, and I said, no, no, I heard her. I heard her. She said 46 months. I heard her. But when I accentuated that, the daughter picked up on what I was doing, so she backed off and didn't say anything. And so I continued so, you know, to talk to her. So I suggested to her, okay, I want you to start on, you know, I start on our multivitamins and our multiminerals, and I think I put her maybe on the B vitamins. And I told her, let's start doing that, and let's see how everything goes. Well, she starts this program, and again, this is some anybody, and this would be a supplement program for every human being on the planet. It has nothing to do with cancer. And she told Sal, I talked to her about six months later. She said she had more energy. She was Sal said she's like cleaning the house. She's doing everything. She was a little fatigued before, but she's got all this you know energy. She feels better, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. Things are going great. Okay, a year goes by, so she's already now exceeded what her lifespan. They said four to six months. She's at a year. Two years go by. Three years go by. Okay. At the fourth year, about 40 months into it, 40, 40, 40, I think it was actually close to four years. It was close to four years. So she'd already exceeded that four, 46 months she was thinking. And at that point, she started getting a little weak, and I think she died within six months after that. But in her mind, I, she was in her 80s. So in her mind, I believe that she heard 46 months. She made it to 48 months, and then she thought, okay, you know, I'm supposed to I'm die. I'm at it, yeah. Instead of the four to six months. 
So the power of belief is very, very important. Some people will say, well, that's anecdotal. Sure, it's anecdotal. But in her world, that's 100% of her experience. And some mm-hmm. people would say, well, you know, that's not, it, it, it's, it's just coincidence. Well, you know, I believe that if you can shift the belief system, the mind system, it goes back to um, Paul Allen's book, um, right? Paul Allen, that's the guy who wrote the, as a man thinketh. And in his book where he talks about the mind is a place that you need to start, as a man thinketh. Robert, mm-hmm. who was it that wrote that book? I don't recall at the Help moment. Do you remember? No, it's okay. Well, anyway, it, it's an important part of everything starts in the mind. That's, that's the point of that book. And I think that's where it starts. Mm-hmm. Beautiful. The power of belief, so very real and a hundred percent effective when it's on when it's you, right? And they say anecdotal. No, no, the, all healing is anecdotal ultimately. Uh, so, folks, which way you want to go? That's and your Robert, choice. Yeah. And that's the thing is that when people say it's their choice, and you know, you, you're absolutely right. It's their choice, whichever way they want to go. But placebo. Some people would say, well, that's just placebo, and you can't rely on placebo. My question would be: We need to learn how to harness the power of placebo better than we already do. Sure. Yeah, uh, unless your concern is for pharma- yeah, if your concern is for pharmaceutical stock prices, that's different, obviously. But if healing is uh, what you're interested in, all right, we have a question of the day coming in from Daniel. Uh, real quick, we'll get to that right now. And uh, Daniel's asking about skeeters, which uh, fortunately I think I've got citronella plants around me, and we got none here, so we're doing well. Uh, but his question is about two children currently in the hospital that were bitten by a mosquito and infected with something called lacrosse encephalitis. They're currently on morphine and antibiotics. What can I do to help? Thanks, Daniel. Well, Daniel, I don't know if you're a doctor or a nurse in the hospital, but if you're not, uh, I, I don't know what you specifically can do. And in a general sense, I don't know what uh, this lacrosse encephalitis, what do they claim is the infection, infecting agent? Do they call it a bacterial or viral or fun? what do they call this issue? I'm not sure. I'm not certain of that, Dr. Batar. Well, it's um, encephalitis is basically inflammation of the brain, right? That's what yep. it is. And, and whoever this, whatever the type is, it must be the person who described it first, so they, they, they named it after him. So encephalitis is inflammation of the brain. So they're thinking that obviously the mosquitoes were carrying something that elicited an inflammatory cascade in the brain, which is probably, like you said, bacterial, could be viral. Mm-hmm. Um, so... When but if they, have, but they got them on morphine and antibiotics, then they, they're thinking it's bacterial, although, as we know, even in hospitals, they'll give it to you for a virus because they don't know. they got nothing else. So obviously there's a lot of pain associated probably with this too. Uh, but, you know, reduction of uh, brain uh, inflammation, you know, one of the things we've been talking about in terms of brain and neurological integrity uh, and protection and regeneration, uh, neuroprotective is cannabidiol from hemp and cannabis. But uh, I don't know definitively what to tell this person if these kids are in the hospital. you got to get them out because you don't have much control on what goes on in there. Yeah, if, if there's inflammation in the brain, I mean, you know, you've got certain types of conditions that within 24 hours can kill a person if they've been exposed to it, like, uh, uh, you, you know, the, like meningitis. Toxidiosis. Uh, there's certain types of meningococcemia will cause somebody to die within 24 hours. So, it's not an urgent type of thing that needs to be managed in a hospital. Uh, again, we don't know who this person is that's asking the question. We yeah, there's a lot of information it. missing in the question. Yeah, I just, so you, you know, what? Yeah. yeah. Basically, it's inflammation. Encephalitis is inflammation of the brain. If it's mosquito related, they're thinking that something the mosquitoes are carrying caused inflammation in the brain, and they're using morphine and antibiotics to to help manage the pain and, and the infection. So it's, it's a pretty standard way of looking at it. By the way, not to change the subject, but as a man mm-hmm. thinketh by James Allen. I was, I, James I Allen, thank you. All, all right, James no Allen. problem. No, anyway. very good. 
All right. Well, Daniel, thanks for asking the question. And uh, again, we try to be as definitive as we can when possible, but uh, we need more information on this one. And uh, prayers for those uh, two two children apparently in the hospital due to that. Uh, Let's go to obesity and diabetics, diabetes. Um, you know, we, we, of course, talk about mineral deficiencies, uh, uh, wrong diet. Ex, you know, they say, oh, you're eating too many calories. Is that it? Is that the only cause of obesity? Well, uh, apparently they're figuring out that uh, there are environmental factors they never considered before. Obesity and diabetes, two reasons why we should be worried about the plastics that surround us. They're finally getting to these persistent organic pollutants, Dr. Batar. Absolutely, Robert. So how much time do we have before we... Go to break. We got about three minutes. So I want to make a comment before we go into this. Robert, you are a master of transitioning from one story to another one, and that was probably the weakest transition scene <laughs> you do. That was really, really good. Come on. So that other you one you nailed me on that some hey, months got, ago hey, listen. was worse. <laughs> I thought, I, I, you know, there was no transit. There was no way. I just wanted to change subjects. So I just took liberties as host without smoothly transitioning. And Dr. Batar has to call me out on it. Thanks a lot, buddy. But, but you, you spoiled us, though. You spoiled us with these beautiful transitions, you know, to, to bring, <laughs> I don't know, you like weave it into a tapestry of, like, how did we get from this topic to that topic? I don't know. Robert did it somehow. Every once in a while, I got to, like, I got to throw a wrench into the ointment and just do it horribly just so I get that kind of response. So thank you, Dr. Batar. It's beautiful well, that you. Well, I just want to. I love you, I'm, too. I'm just spoiled now because, see, I, I know that if it, it was, that, that would have been an okay transition for me. But for you, no, that's just not. That's, <laughs> not, that's, just, that's not. Okay, so let's go, to, let's go to the persistent organic pollutants and obesity. Now two minutes so or less. One of the things, yeah, so basically we know that the more adipose tissue we have, adipose uh, fat basically holds on to more of the toxins, metals, persistent organic pollutants. So we know it just from that aspect, it's going to slow down metabolism. So you've got like a double whammy, right? You've got increased toxicity because the fat holds onto it, and you've also got reduction in metabolism, so it prevents you from actually burning off the fat. And um, so it, it's, not a, it, it's, it's not something that um, is surprising. I mean, the, the, the context of the study, Robert, what exactly is the context of the study? Well, it's just an acknowledgement in this, the, the new research that uh, they're identifying that these, the, the, I, I don't know if it's all a xenoestrogen uh, focus here, but that these plastics, PVC, I mean, they're altering uh, glucose metabolism. They're altering fat storage issues. I mean, so so many of the things that we can say in a general sense are now, def- I guess, getting more definitive in terms of identifying pathways, why and how this is happening, which is fine. I mean, I like science, but good Lord, did we have to wait for them to figure the pathways out to say, stop it with all the bisphenol A and the xenoestrogens and all the plastic and everything. Yeah, you, have you noticed that there's been more in the last two years of studies that are actually conform, uh, confirming what we've been saying for years? Yes. Yeah. You know, before it used to be we would argue with them. Now they're like things that we've been saying. And so, yeah, this is something that, because I didn't know what the study was saying. I was trying to say, was this like a moment of death? This could be a moment of death, too. Sure. Because, yeah, of course. So. Yeah, exactly. Well, folks, uh, we're on the verge of retirement here because everybody's figuring out what we've been saying for now decades. But we're not. We're just going to have too much fun, so we'll find something else to talk about. Perhaps pickles versus cucumbers. Pickles. I don't know. We were doing that last hour, Dr. Batar. Anyway, we got a lot more healing to go. One more subject to cover about ooh, infections and the law of the terrain. Have scientists figured that out as well? Antoine Bashaw, come back to life. Great heavens. What kind of radio show is this? The Robert Scott Bell Show.
Scott the Bell Robert Show. Scott Bell Show. Another great episode. The less Dr. Batar prepares, apparently, the better the show is. It's just bizarre that way. It's like the law of reversed effort. I think that's the law involved here, Dr. Batar, with you. Well, that's a, that's a good thing. Maybe it was my weak <laughs> attempt at comedy that may have helped, huh? I, yeah, you're supposed to, I meant to do that. That's always like when a cat runs and stumbles, because cats never do that, they just carry on like it didn't happen because they meant to do that. They're just too cool. So, uh, yeah. Doctor, yes, Dr. Batar is cool. He is. He's awesome, and we appreciate him. And appreciate you. And, and, and listen, up from the obesity to diabetes, I'm not even going to try to make a smooth transition because I've already blown it for today. So let's just go into the final story. And, and it was your idea to wait till the end. The, well, probably the best story of the day. It's titled, Scientists Find That Common Dietary Elements Cure Lethal Infections, Eliminating the Need for Antibiotics. Yeah, this is something that you and I have been talking about for years. Obviously, you've seen the power of this with your formal training in homeopathy, and uh, there are so many things out there that not only are as effective, but better. They're, they're more effective with less side effects and uh, less resistance, less possibility of developing a resistance. So yes. during the break, we kind of mentioned some of those things, uh, you know, the Gato, Sanger, the Drago, uh, Ashwagandha, Astragalus, Echinacea. Echinacea, ability to use silver. Here's, I want to read silver. this quote without going into the details of their treatment, which I may not agree with, but that's beside the point. Here's this quote that's fascinating uh, from the professor. Our work suggests that instead of killing bacteria, if we promote the health of the host, we can tame the behavior of the bacteria so that they don't cause disease. And we can actually drive the evolution of less dangerous strains. It's like, hello, Antoine Béchamp is, is alive and well, finally. Yeah, I mean, this is a very, very important component. This is one reason I thought that we should do this by itself at the bottom of the hour, because I think this story in itself, uh, and this was, where was this published at, Robert? I'm trying to remember. Medical Express is, is reporting on this. This is coming from the Salk Institute, apparently. Uh, ironically, of course, with Salk and his promotion of uh, uh, vaccines that, in fact, ca- cause disease, including cancer. But let's put that aside. Again, it's coming from mainstream medicine, where they're acknowledging right. overtly the law of the terrain in unique ways. Yeah, and this is a very important component. That's why I thought it was, it was coming from um, a very deeply ingrained conventional uh, stance. Uh, so it's the fact that it's a conventional source that's putting this out, this is very important. And it's not... It's not a small, unknown conventional source. I think it's, um, I think it's uh, telling of the times and, and where everything's going. And how, what I'm amazed that this actually got printed, how did the media fail to filter this? How did the power <laughs> fail to filter it? Right. And that's what I'm kind of curious about. Well, and I guess that the nature of the time is that they can't contain it anymore. They can no longer contain it. There's too, there's too much going on, too much of the shift being on. The consciousness is real, genuinely shifting. We're not saying it's over because it's never over until the fat lady sings, but she's got so many plastics in her system, she's not going to get unfat until she listens to this show. So, so we, we've got to... That was good. Okay, that, you almost redeemed yourself. I almost redeemed myself in Dr. Vitar's eyes. I was working it. I was waiting for that moment. No, it just happened. That's what usually happens spontaneously here. No combustion, just spontaneous laughter. Now, if we're looking at what has transpired over the years, we've been doing this show. We've predicted consciousness shifts. 
we're in it. We're in the midst of it. So it's not always as visible, but it's becoming so visible, so palpable that to deny it, you become the, the absurdist, the one who becomes the village idiot, as opposed to them calling us names for observing the things we've observed 10, 20, 30 years ago. Yeah, I completely agree. I think that this is something that is the, it's the beginning and the movement is continuing in this. It's the cat's out of the bag. They can't stop it now. So I'm glad that there are more of these studies being published, more awareness, uh, whether they're actually there's too much that's coming out and they can't filter it and prevent the masses from learning about this information, or some of these people may have grown a consciousness, or maybe it's the next generation that's coming along too that's pushing the agenda to make sure that awareness is, uh, that they're more evolved. So awareness is, is secondary to that evolutionary process anyway. Yeah. Um, regardless of what it is, it's exciting to be alive at this Time. This is a very, very important time and very exciting time to be alive I yeah. think, in the history of the planet. And as I've said, it's, it's, it's wonderful to be on this journey with you, my friend, and uh, always enjoy getting together to do advanced medicine. Next time, prepare a little more. The show might actually go well. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Hey, great. Y'all, hey, archives available all over the place. Just do searches for Robert Scott Bell's show, Dr. Batar, Advanced Medicine. You'll find them. Uh, in the meantime, we'll be back next week. Uh, new studio, hopefully outdoors as well. Dr. Batar, let them know what they need to know because we got to go. The power to heal is unequivocally yours. The Robert Scott the Bell Robert Show. Robert Scott Bell Show.